This is Leah Durante from leahdurante.com, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, reminding you to ditch stress and turn your triggers into glimmers. I love it. I want to ditch stress. <laughs> All right, I'm going to hit stop. I can help. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I'll be right back. Hold on. Sure. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Lynn Mull, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? It is going great. A little snowy here where I live, but otherwise it is sunny and bright. Sunny and bright's good. Yeah, there's been some crazy weather. I just talked to my parents in Michigan. I think they got like 10 inches of snow dumped on them last week. And my yeah, dad was mad. He was like, I didn't get to use the snowblower. I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody came and plowed me out. <laughs> I'm sure there will be plenty of other opportunities. Yes. But he gets upset because he spent a lot of money on that very expensive, you know, snowblower. And he really likes to use it in, <laughs> in his 80s. <laughs> it's his social thing, right? He, he gets to go and in, in like... All the, the uh, ladies that don't have a husband around with a snowblower, he takes care of them. Exactly. So then, you know, it's like a work thing, I guess. Whatever. Yeah. And then you're out there with the <laughs> other out people. Out there. Snowblowing. Yes. Yeah. He has to remember to drink water so he doesn't pass out and end up in the emergency room. But other than that, yes. Fun stuff. <laughs> okay. So you are at lynnmull.com. Uh, talk a little bit about what you're most excited about in your business today today. Well, I have at the end of last year partnered with a woman from a brighter year. And I know this is a pod, but I'm showing Jeff on camera, my new miniature coloring book. And it is to take, I'm all about the practical pause. And so I'm really excited about this mini coloring book and I'm Really love to partner with people who are easy to work with. And A Brighter Year has so many cute, adorable coloring books. They're great for, you know, they're very simple on purpose. And my Oracle deck's the same way. So we just aligned. And I love partnering with, like I said, people who are easy to partner with. So we got this done and it launched really in January. So it's pretty, it's just fun. I'm I'm into having fun, not yeah. overthinking things. And yeah. um yeah, it's got words and symbols. Clarity. And I love it. You got a pocket, you can buy one. If you, you know, sit, sit in the car. And you don't even have to color it if you don't want to. No. <laughs> Ooh, neat. I, I, I kind of want to go through all of those and talk, talk about what they mean to you. Ooh, that's a good one. I have I no Yeah, that would be fun. Now I want one. <laughs> shipping some off. Shipping some off. But I'm excited about other things. But I do like... Uh, a product moment just because I was, and I know we're going to get into this, but I wasn't that able to be that creative for that many years. And it was very regulated and all of that. So this is like my 
opening my Oracle deck and creating workshops. It's like my creative outlet and it's not for everyone, but Mm. I don't take photographs, but I create ways to make people chill out because I always needed to chill out. So you, you do what you chill out. Totally. Everybody needs to chill out. Yes. Yeah. I think we're on the same page and we all need to chill out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, I, I am, we've had, we were joking about the snow and all that, but we have had a lot of together time as a family and I sometimes need a little break. I'm an introvert at heart. And so like, I need that little pause by myself. And so I'm like, sometimes I I always joke with my girlfriends. I'm like, we can't go move to Italy for six months and have an eat, pray, love moment, but we can certainly like hide at the dining room table after dinner dishes are in the sink and color or doodle or like, just be quiet together kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. Sit down I, I've recently like uh, learned that like being quiet together is like, especially if like the TV is off. Like mm. if like I know everybody did a lot of Netflix binging during the every you know still <laughs> right. <laughs> I, right. I, I, during lockdown, my wife and I were so like, what do they call that? Just like tired of being in the house. You get that like. There's a, there's a word that I'm like blanking on, but you get that. Like, I, I feel like stuck in this house. I just got to get out of here. We would like drove, drove to LA and to our old neighborhood, find a hotel and watch Netflix in the hotel. But it was awesome. <laughs> Cause there was, it nothing, was a different it was, space. It was nothing open, right? You're in lockdown, right? It was almost like, yeah, you know, we had the lie to let the hotel like have a stay there. Cause they had this like rule. You couldn't actually stay in the hotel unless you were there for business. Oh. Stupid California law. So the, the guy looked at me and said, you're here for business, right? And I went, yeah. <laughs> he uh, says, yeah. great. <laughs> that happened wow. a lot. Yeah. That, actually, I remember my, um, my dentist called me and she started like, like um, leading me towards the fact that my teeth had to be hurt hurting if I need, if I wanted my cleaning, I was like, (laughs) okay, yeah, yeah. My teeth hurt because they're dirty. (laughs) Lead the witness. That's right. Exactly. Lead the witness. Well, they do say, now I don't tell my kids, I told you this, but they do say that when you watch TV, not for eight hours, but your brain does relax and loosen. So it's almost in some ways meditative. And so sometimes they, what I've been learning and reading and all my work on the, you know, the people call it manifesting. I just call it goals, but you can actually relate to a character you're watching. Now, hopefully you're not watching like murder mysteries or something, but be a character that you're like, Oh, I like that part of that character. You can start to really pay attention and your nerves pick up on those characteristics. So it's, it's actually not all that bad, although Too and much I do of think anything, you give yeah. ourselves breaks, yeah, you know, yeah. just give yourself a break. Yeah. Although Netflix does come on pretty darn fast after you finish that next episode. <laughs> it does. <laughs> a little fast for me. Everything's a little fast for me too. Okay. So let, this is room room beer. We need to go back in time and talk about Lynn, like, uh, I know you were a student athlete in college. So where did you go to school? Did you go to school in the East Coast or West Coast? Yeah, so I did. I have lived on East and West, but I grew up in Pennsylvania where I'm living now, which is right. part of my story why I came back. But also I um, 
yeah, I grew up in, in Pennsylvania. I went to Bucknell, uh, which is a D1 school. It's called the Patriot League. And I played volleyball. I ultimately got hurt and wasn't able to continue all four years. But I think it gave me ultimately, it really led me to leadership, team sure. dynamics, which we all have, whether it's work school, whatever projects we have, and how to deal with people you don't love, teammates you can't understand, like their communication styles are different, things like that. And then just time management. When you're a student athlete, it's it's quite incredible what what people are put through. And it's even worse now. Like I wasn't really weightlifting like they lift now and they didn't have Unfortunately, a lot of the mental help that athletes get now, like there are, um, you know, like these sports psychiatrists yeah. who can come yeah. and help you. So I wasn't part of that. It was like real but volleyball. School. It was old school. Yeah. And Nothing I felt really. That. You get discipline, lucky. leadership. Yeah. All of that. And you're getting a workout, right? Got to get those adrenaline out and sweat out all the toxins. So I still, I still have that. Like I, don't have a problem working out. I don't have a problem motivating. I don't have a problem working out at home. Like that mm. works. I mean, being in the air force, did you feel like you still have some of that? Uh, you'd be surprised how couchy the air force is for physical fitness, but <laughs> it's, you know, it, that's relative to the other services. Does that make sense? You know where yeah, I'm going? Yeah. 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 So like a lot of my air force career they didn't really even have a fitness program in the Air Force, embarrassingly so. They had a weight management program. That was the fitness program. So if you were fat, you got in trouble. <laughs> you had to figure out how to do it. I bet, though, you had. No, so. we had. We, that was literally all the way up until. Uh, so I don't want to get too deep into me. But so like up to a certain point, the, it really was like they would just make you show up once a year and run a mile and a half. So and without any required training, right? So I would say most people were fine, right? Because, you know, you're in the military, you're young. And even if you're not doing anything, you can show up and run a mile and a half in your 20s and your 30s usually, right? True. But some it sounds high school. It sounds like the presidential, fit, presidential fitness challenge when we were oh, in high school. It's so weird. So at, at some point... Congress yelled at the Air Force because some small percentage of people were dropping dead during their annual fitness test. They would just have a heart attack and die, right? And they're like, they're not really all that fit. <laughs> right. Maybe we should do some proactive. Maybe uh, we should like okay. have a fitness program instead of a fat boy program. So anyway, that's all. Uh, <laughs> once we did that, then yes, right? So that's a long, long way of getting around to saying, yeah, when you actually have like required fitness, not only that, but there was also a leadership component there too. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. So like I was never considered myself like a great athlete, but I would do the thing, right? If, if it's part of my job, so I have to do the thing, right? Whatever that thing is, right? You want me to run? I'll go run, right? You want me to ride this stupid bike? I'll go run, <laughs> ride a stupid bike. So they switched for a while there to like bike, you know, that you have to go do this sub VO2 and ride a bike. And then they put you on a computer that the idea there was like, nobody died. Right. 
But you had to go in order to pass that test. You had to ride a stationary bike, or you know, I guess you could have rode a bike bike, right? So then they did away with that again, and then they went back to running. So when I was like in charge of some shop, uh, a shop, I had like twenty somethings, and they were like pushing me to get better. Yeah, exactly. Good face. That's exactly what I thought because I was trying to keep up with them, and that made me like you know want to throw up while I was running because I'm like, you know, late thirties and they're like 20 something. But the good side was like the girl that was struggling with passing the test. I got to like help her. Exactly. Like look at, look at me. I'm an, I'm the old guy. Try to keep up with me. And she passed. So that made me feel good. Like I could do something about that, you know? Anyway. Yeah, that's like the original team building, right? Get together, try to have this goal. Just have fun. You know, I tried to like like make running fun, which is I don't think tricky. college, my college volleyball <laughs> was not. I, the social component and like the dining hall eating together, great. The workouts, the double two practices a day. It's like, too much, right? Interrupting my studies. And I wasn't even, I was, you know, I wasn't even terribly good, meaning like, I'm not playing at Penn state and I'm not getting pulled out of classes to fly to California. Like it was all pretty local drivable stuff. So right. it was pretty, it was, it's very disruptive and also amazing in the same way. And so ultimately my body declined from all the years of jumping. I played front row. I'm pretty, I'm very tall. And, um, right. and so my body was like, you can't keep jumping and jumping on hardwood floor and blocking. And it's, so it my body told me, yeah, it takes yeah my body told me no more, no more. Nothing wrong with that. It's but I played again in my twenties in San Francisco. We played a lot of co-ed. That's how I made all my friends. So shout out to all my San Francisco crew. It's not so bad if you, if it's not like what you're saying, like all intense, right? It's like, you're just practicing so much. There's a wear and tear feature or factor that you have to like consider there. And they've gotten a lot better at the data and the knowledge, yeah. but it's still any college. And even, you know, we could talk about this. It's like probably another podcast. Now that I have <laughs> I just don't, you know, there, I didn't have to choose my sport. Everyone else has had to choose at the age of eight. And I'm like, let's just play all the things. Let's play. Let's try and see what's fun uh, for you. I'm trying to keep it. I'm kind of trying to keep it chill for my kids. Right. Cool. Okay. So did you study finance in college? I studied economics. My dad economics. Okay. used to take napkins, literally the napkins on the kitchen table. Yeah. And he would draw charts and graphs. He was obsessed with drawing supply and demand curves. He was obsessed with wow. drawing. I shouldn't say obsessed, but he just did it. Yeah, yeah. He'd be like, well. Because that was fun for him. And he he's, and just recently is gone part-time. He's a financial advisor, but he started off selling insurance and then moved into the investment space. And so he was having to explain this to clients all the time, risk, reward, supply, demand. Why is he, he was teaching us about stocks. So if we got money for whatever grade mm. or we didn't get an allowance, but let's just say birthday money. He was the one who would say like, I'm going to, we would open up the physical paper and he would show me all the stocks and he would say, here are three or four I think you should think about and I'm going to invest your money for you. Or when I was 14 and working at a snack bar, he would wow. say, let's take half of that check and invest it. So it was like part of my... That's awesome. It was 
not easy for me, but it was like part of my vocabulary at home, or he would sit down and explain what a mortgage was in the eighties when interest mm. rates were coming down. So it was like, I was sort of around it. So econ felt natural. Although I did go in as a bio major, chemistry was not my jam, not my jam. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Not going to do organic chem. Why yeah. torture ourselves? I've heard that before. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good for you. And, and from my perspective, you were lucky, right? Like I, I was basically thrown out there in my twenties, you know, with like no concept of money, none whatsoever. Like, Oh, now I have a job. What do I do with all this money? Do I keep it? What, you know, do I spend it on crap? What do I do? You know, probably the only 18 year old at the time who knew what a Roth IRA was. And um, yeah, that's awesome. You know, he's like, it's tax time. Yeah. It's tax time. So one of my dad's claim to fames is he can draw upside down. So he still to this day, if he meets with a client in person, which is getting less and less, he takes his yellow, huge legal pad and he will draw these graphs upside down. And he always has a framed picture of the stock market since the, you know, 29, 30s. And he will (laughs) show how the patterns repeat. So he... He has a way of, of teaching that I think lands, which I guess stuck with me <laughs> for better or for worse. And he yeah. also was a, he, he also was a bookworm in a different way than my mom was. So I think like this idea of learning stuff to help you make sense of the world, like the nonfiction world or listening to talk radio. I mean, oh, right. those voices on NPR when you're a kid is like nails on a chalkboard. And now <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening to audibles and the, my girls get get in the car and they're like, another audible book. Like, what are you listening to? I'm like, I'm just trying to learn. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I love. Uh, so when you said like long card rides and audio audiobooks, I'm down with that. I know exactly what you mean. You got to go find that. I, I, I think the only time I actually did that was back when they had like CDs. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if you can believe that. Right. So I was like fuddling around with, I think I listened to uh, a novel, like one of those um, John Grissom novels, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I drove from Florida all the way up to Michigan to see my parents. It was awesome. I ran out of book before I ran out of drive. And it was so sad. <laughs> I know. That's so interesting. I forgot about that. We never did that as a family. And I never did the books on tape, but I know about them. And then. Yeah, yeah. I did it's wanna, a different world now, you know, you can stream everything, right? You can, you can download everything you want. Yeah. I know the kids are, well, the, one of the things I did early on was the, one of the first podcasts, I think someone should fact check this, but it was called Serial. Serial. Yes. Serial was so good. Yeah. So good. Got so scared because I commuted from, I left, we had left New York City, which I know we'll get into. And then I came to Pennsylvania because my mom was sick. And I used to commute from here to New Jersey. And it's very difficult to get from where I live to the Princeton, New Jersey area, back roads and cornfields. And yeah, yeah. The East Coast is crazy for driving. Yes. Yeah. It's just no path. It was beautiful. And on the way home, it would get dark. And I literally could not drive through these cornfields and listen to cereal because yeah, it's so scared that there is some <laughs> someone coming out of the cornfields. So you got to be careful what you listen to on what part of the drive. Yeah, 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 yeah. I miss. I wish that guy would. I think the guy got out of jail. Serial season one. Yeah, he got. He finally got out of jail. 
so sad that it took that long. Mm-hmm. I'm still mad about the uh, making a murderer. Did you did you watch that on Netflix? No, don't because it's got you know it's really good, but you kind of hope the guy's going to get out of jail, and he doesn't. You know, reality usually sucks. <laughs> because, Complex worlds we live in. Yes, yes. Okay, so all right, so you you graduate college, you've got some sort of econ degree. So how do yeah. you get your first finance job, and what's it like? So I entered, my internship was at GE and talk about luck. My college roommate's dad worked at GE and got me an internship. And then I, from there, was led on a very direct path to go into one of the many GE leadership training programs that Jack Welsh had started. So I did a two-year, and then I stayed at GE for three years after that, but I did a two-year, I physically moved Okay. Every two, every six months for two years. So I did four rotations. I did a leadership program. I got to go to Crotonville under Jack Welsh, which is like their leadership university. It's still around today. I just ran into a bunch of GEers up in Connecticut and they're like, I get to go to Crotonville still. And and it's an amazing, amazing place. So talk about leadership. It was like shot out of the gate. Yeah. Sounds like the military, yeah, moving Great. around all the time, getting exposed to new things and different pieces and, and leadership. Yeah. Like so most officers are, are doing that. They're like officer world. If you're like a pilot, if you get to stay in one place for a year, you're doing something wrong because you're not upwardly mobile anymore. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. Exactly. No. Yeah. 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 You have to move to, to move up anyway. Yeah, yeah. So they grad. So you technically graduated after your four rotations, and then you weren't guaranteed a job, but you were likely to get a job. So okay. I landed out in one of the divisions. This is when Six Sigma was really big. Not I that remember. it's still. It was this very trendy thing, and we did. We had a great group. I loved, loved my time at GE. I reference it still quite a bit, and mm. I not a hoarder. I don't really keep a lot of things. I don't have a problem decluttering, but I have kept my original GE binders physical. I have physical yeah, yeah. binders yeah. because of how amazing that structure was the pillars of leadership. And what the best part was, is that Jack Welsh at the time, in my experience as a peon, as an intern, first year out of college, second year up until five years is like, you knew the priorities at the, at the ground level. And I'm sure in the military, you probably feel the same way, but I was like, Oh, at the time it was get everything we do on the internet, everything. Yeah. On the internet or the internet. And if you don't do that, you're failing your job. So it was like, we're going to do this. And we have this other component and it was so simple. You have your job. And then you also have to do this other thing too. Right. It was clear. It was so clear. Okay. Gotcha. It wasn't that's good. like that's good. That's that's rare. I'll say that that's rare. I know, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> the clarity and, is is so rare. Yeah. And we all did it. We mm. all did it. Boss did it. I did it. We all knew what the thing was, and it would change. It's year amazing. Year. Like when when you have that organizational clarity like that, that's super clear. Then everything is like a lot less stressful. And things come up. I mean, it's not like stress free. But that that like ambiguity of you don't really know what's gonna what's going on or you know you know you read this mission statement or this vision and it's just a bunch of BS <laughs> right yeah that's most corporations right but that's awesome so I didn't know yeah, that or that like GE they'll say was like that yeah 
my other experience in various divisions of the bank that I worked in, of which there were five or six that I worked in through mergers, is like, well, we're going to say this is our priority, but then also everyone gets to, to decide what their own priorities are. So every team is like their own snowflake, and you're like, wait. Interesting. And you're battling each other because your priorities are different than their priorities, and then like uh, you said, yeah, 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 I get it. They draw this BS line to the top. Well, this is how it relates to the top. So it was actually very clear. Everyone did it, and for good or for for better or for worse, he did lay off people who didn't make the cut. Like so, there was not a lot of bottom dwellers too, and you had to sort of keep up. Like you said, got to run the mile. Yeah, <laughs> you right. can't. Die, it, right? Throw up. Right, right, right. It was, like it was okay to throw up. You just couldn't die. <laughs> yeah, like, a GE was like, if you didn't pass the test, right? Whatever the test was, that priority, that thing. Yeah, yeah. You got laid off. Right. You got let go. Yeah, now, maybe right. in some cases, if you were like, oh, that just wasn't a good fit, they would replace you. But more often than not, they let people go. They were so good about. I think that's taking good, out. I mean, and it doesn't happen in part of its state, right. part of legislation, part of its, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not at the top of a corporation anymore, but right. you know, it's not the same. So, okay. So you say you worked at some banks. So what sorts of things, what sorts of roles were you doing in banks? Cause I have no clip. I, I did actually work at a bank. It was like an investment style bank. So mm -hmm. the, the guys that worked in the back, were like, um, they had money from Singapore. It was a like DBS bank. So it was basically the government bank of Singapore, the LA branch. So you couldn't get an account there. But what I found out was that was how Singapore invests in movies. So, right, the, each, each dude in the back there at DBS bank, LA, up on the, you know, whatever, 14th floor, they had like... They knew producers that were good at making movies that made money. And wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned a lot. <laughs> I, you know, oh, that's why movies are made, you know, because people want to make money. Right. So anyway, so what did you do in a bank? <laughs> so when I, I was in, I was I, at GE, I left, I left the East Coast. A lot of um, my time was up in Connecticut at the time. And then I moved to San Francisco and I worked north of the city and I would, I got recruited to work at Bank of America for my Six Sigma skills. So when I first started, I was doing like basic efficiency operations, looking at people pushing paper, pushing um, oh, like a consultant props. almost, an internal consultant. Exactly. Yeah. Project management. What are mm -hmm. you doing? Do we need to do this? Just asking a lot of questions, had a ton of training. And then while I was in that role, I did my first merger. So I was with, that was my first of four mergers. And I was, again, like you said, like a project consultant. I considered it my real life case study MBA. It was fun. I was young. I had a lot of airline miles. I <laughs> right. was not necessarily paid at the top, but I was paid an experience. I was given huge roles. Lynn, you're, you run all of the project managers. They always did it. They divided it operations and sales. So one merger, I'd be on the ops side, figure out operations. Why is it doing that? Then the other one, it would be, you know, work on the sales side, get experience. And they had technology people and lawyers and accountants and all these things. But it was like, how are we going to put these two companies together? So it was analysis, very structured, 
Bank of America had, you know, they had a very good process and I was quick to follow it. So I did lots of things. I did eventually want to get out of the business of being on the road. Right. <laughs> right. That takes a toll. I, you know, I would get really sick every once in a while. It was my first clue, you know, bronchitis for two weeks, missed a friend's wedding. I'm like, huh, this isn't that healthy. Right. And it was the good old days. We were on a corporate budget. So it was like credit card here, dinner out there, drinks here. It was a lot. Um, and you were working really hard to meet these deadlines. We had massive deadlines every Friday. So it was just this grind, it was a great, grind. It was a great, exciting rhythm, but it was also pretty, um, pretty hard. So I got out, I went into the business. So into the line of business out of that internal consulting audit role. And I moved in and took a job in operations in the trust company out in San Francisco. It's so funny how we, you said, oh, the 14th floor. When I was in New York, I was on the 42nd floor. When I was in San Francisco, I was on the ninth floor. Like I remember. <laughs> right. You hit that button so many times. So was, <laughs> I call it my big girl job. I was 30 years old. I was wearing suits made for 50 year olds. Like I was young. I knew my stuff and I was a leader in the merger space, but post merger integration for that business was very emotional. So I was doing a lot more communicating, mm. okay. a lot more standing up and speaking. Why are we doing this? And really figuring out how to listen to people. So I would very early on, I stopped going into a group of people, sales assistants and saying like, well, we're emerging and the, and the technology is going to be great. It was like, what do you think? Mm. What do you want? What did you do in your old right. company that you can bring forward? Or what do your clients think? How can we help them? And so changing the dynamic, they call them listening tours now, but we were doing that long ago. Okay. Yeah. That makes long. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Just go in and, and get ready to download a bunch of info, take a bunch okay. of notes. Record now, sometimes the conversation. You sometimes you can't do anything about it, right? Like sometimes you're like, yeah, it's, it's that's still worth not... it though. It's still worth doing it because right. then people feel hurt. Yeah. And right. then sometimes it was valuable and you heard it enough. You're like, hey, I can actually influence this. So then I did, I worked through that. And then I decided after so long in San Francisco, more socially, I got pretty wiped out of California. And my sister had gotten out of college and moved to New York and she was loving it. And I was like, hey, I think I'm going to do this New York thing for a while. East Coast summers are hard to beat. I know California has amazing weather, but I was like, yeah, I sort of want to feel the heat, the humidity, see my family, okay. see some college, college friends again. And I had missed a lot, you know, the birthdays, the weddings, the anniversary. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do this New York thing. Took a job again in the trust company right around 2007. And then I was part of the Merrill Lynch Bank of America merger, which was big, a big deal for me. Huge. A lot. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I got a call. I got a call on a Monday of Labor Day and I was downtown on Tuesday. My boss got a call. Lynn's not coming into work. We don't know when she'll be back. She's on the SWAT team and it's in SWAT a couple of books. Team. That's great. SWAT. Like, the meetings I was in and conversations I heard with some of the former Merrill people have, it is literally documented in newspapers, uh, books. I wow. was part of, and I, it was so intense. I don't really think I understood. There were a couple of times where I was like, oh my gosh, should this be being allowed? <laughs> not fraudulent, not fraudulent, but some like pretty aggressive business decisions. Slightly that shaky. <laughs> you're like, maybe you should talk to someone else about this before you just 
do this, but right. You know, just to be, I was literally a fly on the wall. Sometimes uh, made some of the best relationships that I've ever made and was able to call on those when I needed in the future. But then I spent the rest of my career at Merrill. And when I left, I was running strategy for the 6,000 client associates who are sales assistants all over the country. And although I love the job, I did not, I loved the group that I supported. I didn't love where things were going and my nervous system didn't like it. And I had created a plan to leave. Oh, nice. I'd been chipping away. Right. Okay. So when did you find, I thought you said you were, you found like a, an Equinox yoga studio near your office in New York, right? And that was sort of like the beginning of the move out. Yeah. So my, my yoga instructor is now one of the top Peloton instructors and I like crack out. Yeah. She's very connected to the Broadway scene. So what, what would happen in these classes is she would, she would have these Broadway singers come in and do the end. They would sing in these yoga studios and they would reverberate and it would like reset my brain. Now I will also tell you at the same time while I was in New York, right at the start of my time in New York, my mom was very sick with cancer. And so I was trying to help navigate. She had emergency surgery and wow, I don't want to make this pot about her, but there were like stressors at work. I was in a new job. The market crashed. I was working insane hours. I had no time to make friends, see my sister, see my college friends. Like it was very, and then my personal life was super stressful because we couldn't figure out what to do with her and her treatment was causing all these side effects. So that's going on about two hours away. I have no social life. I only have work life and the work life is so intense and everyone's freaking out because the market had crashed. And so I was like, I need to do something what worked. And there were two things that I did is one, I joined my college alumni network they they had it in San Francisco. I was like, that was a really good group of people, different than my norm. And so I joined that, and which is how I ended up meeting my husband in that same year or two years later. And then I was like, I need to do yoga. Yoga was good in California. You can't really go running in Central Park when you get out of work at 9 p.m. Jeez. <laughs> Right. So right. getting out of work at 9 p.m. Wow. Ouch. So then me. You know, it it all sort of comes full circle, but my yoga studio became my place in New York that, you know, we talk about it now, but at the time it wasn't like this. It was like, my phone goes in my locker. I am underground. It was an underground studio. Like you had to go down a level and mm. I would be like, there's a lot of people trying to get really into their own their own mental space and they would always say this is your mat do what you want you have this space and I just felt quiet I felt for even in the craziness of New York City my cell phone won't work in the basement I wasn't allowed to bring it into the room I didn't have it Apple watches weren't invented yet so like there was no way to get me right <laughs> and right <laughs> that, you needed that a, a lot yeah and when you pay for those memberships at those gyms or whatever it's and you're young and you've got this expensive apartment like you make it work like you go so yeah, i was yeah, doing yeah. that you've got skin in the game you have to do you have to go right so i was doing it and mm. it provided me a place 
to breathe, to exhale, to, I really did. They would, you know, they would, every teacher that I went to anyway, I would say like, I'm going to direct you, but if you need to linger longer or you want to do another move. And so it felt permission. I had a lot of permission there. Whereas at nice. work, not a lot of permission in those <laughs> no. 2007, eight days, not a lot of permission. It was like, holy just the grind, just the grind. Your hair is everyone on fire. Was, yeah. Everyone was scared. Everyone was scared. The top execs, Everyone was scared. Well, yeah, Young. the sky was falling, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And they were watching CNN show people taking their, what we thought was, you know, these golden eggs, and they were walking out of Bear Stearns with their stuff in a box, right? And you knew just as many people, if you'd worked in finance, who were impacted in some way. Mm. And so it, it was... Um, the world felt heavy, work felt heavy, and I didn't feel heavy there. I finally felt like you could exhale a little bit. Yeah, you felt <laughs> a little, you felt tingly in a good way. Like, oh, oh I, I can breathe here. Yeah, yeah, breathe here. Wow. So okay. So what's the next move? I mean, your health is probably not great. <laughs> And you're experiencing burnout. You just don't know what that label is, probably. I don't know. I'm guessing. Um, so how do you, how, what does it look like when you finally quit your job? Or are yeah, you still so the, doing that? <laughs> I don't know. No. So the, you know, the real issue, I think, was like, you go into this mode of caregiver. And then I was getting married and I had two kids. And the real kicker was that second kid. Uh, they... I had relocated to Pennsylvania. I was commuting towards Princeton and my husband was commuting and I had two kids and my mother was still really sick. So I'm in this stage of new mom work still wanted me to travel. And my mom was still in, in despair. So I had one really significant trigger and this is, I talk a lot about it is these milestone moments. So milestones, like I have a client I've worked with since she's been 25. She's like, by my 25th birthday, I think I should have this title. So sometimes it's age, but for me, it was like multiple things happening at once, a move, a pregnancy, but then this terrible thing happened upon my return to work with my second child. And I, my, my colleague was calling me, but I was literally like 10 days out. And getting your computer set back up was like an act of God. And so I was like, oh, she's calling me because she needs to like know my birth date to turn my laptop back on or something. This is what I'm thinking, right? Or she's trying to make sure she can open the doors the first day I get there because my badge won't work. This is what my, this is literally what I'm thinking. It's five o'clock on a Thursday. I'm with my kids because I'm still on maternity leave. Then I had not hired a nanny. And I found out my boss had been murdered that day by her husband. And so it was the, I wait probably, a minute, wait a minute. let's, let's, let's stop there and take a breath. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, wait a minute. It was so your rough. boss, your boss, her name was Sue. Her, yeah, her name Sue was, was murdered by her husband. And that's why your coworker is calling you. So the hysterics, the crying that I had to hand the baby, you know, my, at the time, five month old over to my husband, he's, and I just sit there and I can't really make sense of what she's saying to me. And yeah, 
And so my, my, that was my straw. I'm like, this is so, so messed up. Wow. Wow. And one of those people who mentored everyone, she would have a line of, a line outside of her door of people wanting her advice, never had, never knew there was anything wrong. I knew she was starting to think about getting a divorce, but like we didn't know. And then I must so my first day back at work was her funeral. And Jeez. wow. I was like time out in my brain and my heart and my body. I'm like time out. I am not doing this anymore. Like so my mom. Is, wow. Okay. My mom was sick. Someone who I, admired who had the title and the two kids and the beach house and the house in New Jersey and the, this and the, that and the salary and she's gone. Crazy. And it was enough to get me on the path to say what's next. And I signed up for coaching training and I said to my husband, I'm doing this. Like I need to do this. And it was still in person back then. I, I think they're still back to being in person but I was able to start to to find a trajectory. Now, when that happened, could I have said I was going to quit and all of that? No, um, I didn't know. I just knew, you know what, if nothing else happens, I need to reset my brain and find another way to work. Like you're working on your exit strategy some more, but in earnest, like, you know, you need to leave at this point. And now you just have to figure out how to make it happen. Kind of idea. They made us, Sit now. I wasn't there every day. I had a pass to work from home long ago. Mm-hmm. Good before COVID. I was in two days a week, maybe one day a week, some days three days a week. But I had I had a like a visitor's cubicle, right? And then you could always get conference rooms and things. Sure. And they made us sit in that same exact floor in that same exact space, and they just shut her door. And I was like, this place is going to kill me. My mom is almost dead. Now my mom is alive now, but I said, you know, there's, this is not right. This place is literally going to take me out. Right. And so I knew, I just knew. And, and listen, have any of the people I worked with or HR ever had that happen? I don't know. So I, you know, I'm not blaming them, but I was like, I'm out. So I continue to work with coaches. I continue to think, read, journal, what do I want to do? And I couldn't tell you in that instance when I instant when I signed up for coaching training, like would it lead to Reiki? Would it lead to yoga teacher training? Would it lead to I don't know then, but right. you just start to get these little hints on what makes sense for you at that time. I also right. don't recommend everyone leaving. No, I don't. Sometimes staying put is the answer. It just may be communicating differently. But for me, I want, I took me five years to leave. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't, there's a lot of folks out there that are on the quit your job, no matter what, cause jobs are stupid train. Nah, you know, most people need jobs. <laughs> I, I agree. You know, I actually did quit a job. It worked out, but I, I was doing like a, sort of like personal development, uh, workshops, you know, and, you know, people that don't go to personal development workshops, they assume you're going, you're joining a cult. I didn't, it was actually personal development workshops, <laughs> but they were definitely on that quit your job. If you don't like it kind of train, um, it just worked out for me. How's that sound? Like, uh, uh for me, yeah, it worked out. 
And I, I just recently, like last April, quit my last grown-up job. So, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> right. And, and you know what? And I say like, maybe who knows, but as long as you know, what's aligned and what's working and I just kept chipping away, it's like, what's aligned, what works. Mm. And sometimes most people in my circle have to stay at some sort of job and my clients, right. want to, my clients want to, and I actually, I do like working. So I think it, it's work is sort of like a spiritual thing beyond the fact that it fills the, you got to eat and pay bills and right. rent and stuff. There's something about our wiring that, you know, that's kind of like I'm treating my podcast as my work. I don't want to call yeah. it a job because I pay to do it. I, I pay to do this podcast, right? There's no advertising. I'm doing it because I enjoy talking to people. Yeah. And meeting people and hopefully helping <laughs> the listeners and maybe you too. I don't know. But this is what I'm treating as my work now, right? It's super easy <laughs> and I want to keep it that way. Like if somebody right. were to come up to me and say, we'll give you, you know, six figures to do this professionally, but you got to do all this extra stuff. I would say no. Uh, no. Right. Because <laughs> right? that right. would ruin it, right? <laughs> it's, it's what it is because it's easy, you know, and it's fun. And it has no pressure, right? Like you would call me in like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm running late. Do you have five minutes? Of course. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so well, you're also a kind soul. No, I know. Yeah. You oh. did. I was running late because of that silly snow. You know, life, life happens as they say. So, okay. So what, what are we doing now? Let's, let's bring this all into like, you know, your deal, like linmull.com and talk about what you're doing for work now. Yeah. So my, my life has really been great. I took, I'm like 18 months out of corporate America and nice. have. It takes a time to like decompress. <laughs> I did. I did have some stuff bubble up like six months after I was sort of surprised it came back, but yeah, I, I'm doing the work, always doing the work, but we, so what I'm doing now is I'm focused and honed in on helping people find clarity. That's awesome. I believe that there's a holistic approach. So before we started hitting record, we were talking about how I, I call my clients woo curious. So <laughs> yeah, I, I get, you know, it. I have. I look at things and I work with people in a holistic way. I pull from my Oracle deck. I have an Oracle deck I created and wrote in a weekend. And Talk like a little I'll bit about the Oracle deck. Just give, give us a little bit of i uh, I'm, I'm woo happy. I'm, I'm happy to talk woo. I love woo. But when I hear Oracle deck, it, it, it launches a bunch of questions in my mind. Yeah. So just give, give us a little bit of what, what is the thought behind the Oracle deck? Is it like a, what's that? Um, what am I trying to think of? The other thing. It's not tarot. That's what it's I was thinking of. Okay. It's not tarot. Oracle, okay. Now you won't be able to unsee it, but the Oracle means decision and every religion, historical society, sure. Greek, Roman. Oracle of Delphi, right? Right. You right. know, Egyptians, they all had oracles. Prophets is another type of word. And essentially right. an oracle deck were things that I used when I was at my lowest. And there's a deck that inspired me that I still use. 
And this was a Swedish one. It's called the Inner Compass deck. And it really, um, wow. Oracle cool. has, yeah, she's beautiful. And these are bigger than mine, but the simplicity of it. So an Oracle deck essentially has no rules. Tarot has a certain number of cards you have to have. And I'm ah. not, I came from a place of high regulation, high rules. My emails were all read, which is all fine. My, I had no internet outside of the intranet except MSNBC and a couple of other news. Mm. You know, everything was blocked and regulated. So this is like no rules. I wrote, um, in particular, this is called the 24 Oracle because I believe there are phases of our life and there are 12 new moons and 12 full moons in one calendar year. And we see the moon if there are, you know, like a beautiful night like tonight, we'll see the moon and it's every two and a quarter days, the moon changes to the human eye. Ah, okay. But think about it getting there. It's shifting all the time. And so I think we always want to be full or we want to be, you know, I wanted to be on time today, like, but we're all in these phases. And so maybe you're at a phase where you're ready to do this fun podcast. Maybe in two years, you're going to be like, you know what? I want to X, Y, Z, I'm going to run a marathon or whatever your thing is. It can always right. change. Right, right. But I'm I want people to meet themselves where they are. And really, I mean themselves. And the right. Oracle, I, th I don't think we know how to do that. I think we know what social media tells us. I think we know what the books we read tell us. I think we know what our friends and family think we should do. I know what my dad thinks I should do, right? It's all these shoulds, shoulds, shoulds. And right. I use an Oracle deck. I don't use it every day anymore, but I wrote a booklet that goes with the cards. Okay. And it gives you ideas and prompts. But for example, um, surf. Surf is the card that's popped up just now on the phone. Love on the Zoom. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And so this card, and I, I wrote it so I know it, but this card is like, do you feel like you're in a high tide moment or a low tide moment? No judgment. Where are you? Mm. And then to think, let's just say you say, Lynn, I'm feeling low low tide. I'm feeling like a little like me post-holiday. I don't know. Just I'm annoyed or, you know, I had a weird conversation with my friend, whatever the situation is. Right. Okay. I would say, you know, what? there's a wave coming and it's okay to feel me yeah, today. And it's okay to notice this week has been off because mother nature has been overacting, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you're something didn't come, come, you needed in the mail for a project you're doing in your backyard, whatever the thing is just like letting it be. And so my, my deck is all about anchoring on an idea. So as we're swirling, mm. we're swirling about the weather, we're swirling about complaining about our friend who said the wrong thing, we're complaining that our dinner didn't turn out or whatever <laughs> is swirling in our head. Oh, my boss, can you believe they did that? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. what? I need an anchor. And my anchor this week is this card, Surf. And I have to recognize that not every minute is going to be this beautiful, crashing, photographic beautiful crest of a wave and like it's coming it's yeah. coming sure and so i That's found awesome. and i don't know if you find this in the wellness space or in the people you've talked to a lot of my yoga instructors or my workout instructors would always say to me find your mantra for the class or what's your purpose for your weightlifting today or whatever the thing is set an intention like, for the session <laughs> what's your intention? be like I don't know. I'd be like, Jeff, I've got to buy six bananas and I have um, 
12 tons of laundry and that client proposal I never got back. Mm. Never got back. So, ah, I have my anchor. So I've used this if I'm having a crappy day and I need to drive around with it because I got into a fight with someone. I use it if I want to feel inspired for art or writing. I use it in client sessions. I'll pull a card and say, like, we're doing a clear clarity session. You seem all over the place, Jeff. Do you want to drop in for a second? And we'll do mm. some breath work. I'll pull a card. I'll talk about the card. And then we talk See about what it. comes up. Yeah. And I like it. But there are also no rules. If you want to pick a card and never look at the book, cool. It means it means what it means. All right. And I want people to have that freedom to right. you know, be in the phase. And then that's why the offshoot of the coloring book, I'm like, just have some fun because we aren't all not, we're not all going on the eat, pray, love ashram, six months of a spiritual journey. Most of us don't have that opportunity or want right. to. So right, right, right. How do you make this all work when you've got a ton going on with friends and family and business and personal stuff? Yeah. You just spit it in and pulling a card takes yeah, two minutes. Yeah. Or two seconds. You know, whatever, seconds. whatever time you've got, you can do that. Right? Yeah. That's amazing. So- Lynn Mall, this has been a blast. We've been talking almost an hour right now. Can you believe that? <laughs> it went pretty fast. I know. You never know, right? We meet these friends through social media and the internet, and it's fun to meet you. And we chatted back and forth a little bit before this, and then we chatted live. And I think it's cool to know that you are coming at this from a different angle and I'm coming at it from a different angle being stressed out on wall street, but like we're both wanting people around us to feel differently because it's possible. And I think that's so cool to come at it from different vantage points and end up in the yeah. same part of the yeah. Venn diagram. So yeah, kudos, yeah. To kudos to you, Lynn Mole. <laughs> Thanks for reaching out. Thanks for hanging out with me for about an hour. So talk a little bit about how people can best get in touch with Lynn Mull at lynnmull.com. Yeah. So I've got an email address on there. Hello at lynnmull.com. I'm pretty okay. active on Instagram. I still find it to be incredibly useful in ways to connect. So it's at underscore Lynn Mull. Okay. And my website has, you know, articles I've written on Substack. So just keeping it simple, website, Instagram. And I would love to offer anyone listening if you want to use the code 10, it's the word spelled out in all caps, T-E-N, on an order on any of the products I mentioned today, you will get 10% off. So That's pretty enjoy. easy. <laughs> easy to do and easy to remember. Excellent. Okay, perfect, Lynn. You have a good one. You too. Be well. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-E-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.